0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So let's get started there. Uh, take your Bibles to Job 14. We're going to read 10 verses there. And When you find it, please stand. Job 14, Job, my Job, Job. Man that is born of a woman is, full, is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He flees also as a shadow and continues not. And does that open thine eyes upon such an one and bringeth me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one? Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as an hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease, Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away, yet man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? I will be concentrating most of my time on that last verse. What happens when we die? Where do we go after we die? But before we get there, let's get some wisdom from the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. My Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this great privilege to be able to stand here and preach your word. Father, I pray that you will give me wisdom and the capacity to do this, Lord. pray for your people and everyone that has come to listen to the preaching of your word, that we may learn something new today, Lord. Pray for our pastor that he is away, Lord, that we know that he misses not being here. Pray that he will bring him back safe and sound. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. That is the great questions. You know, we all know that at some point everybody is going to die. I don't know if you do any witnessing, but a while ago on a job site, I witnessed to a guy who practices Buddhism. And he said that according to his religion, when you die you reincarnate. And you keep coming back. And you come back based on how good or how bad you were in your previous life. If you were good, he said that you come back as a person. But if you were bad, you keep coming back as an animal. And you start off as a big animal and you go down smaller and smaller animal until you become a bug. And when, once you die the last time, you then go to utopia. He said that this is a a very lengthy process. I don't know. The whole thing sounds crazy. But anyhow, (laughs) I don't know much about Buddhism. And I don't know if this guy was pulling my leg. But the whole thing sounded like a bunch of nonsense. And after talking for, for a long time, we got nowhere. You know, he was... He was giving me a headache. I finally told him, you know, I gave up on I told him, you know, if he, if he dies and comes back in my lifetime, to make sure not to come back as a cat, because I will eat him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's incredible, really, you know, how good Satan is at deceiving people. People don't take their time to investigate what they believe. And find out where they're going to go after they die, who decides where you go, and on what basis. There are millions of people involved in religion, and the only thing they know is that they're going to die. And they're hoping for the best. That's really what they're hoping for. For those of us who know the truth in the Word of God, it's not complicated. This is really not that complicated. If you want to go to heaven, you must repent of your sins and trust in Christ, and if you want to end up in hell, all you have to do is trust religion. Any religion will do they 're all going to the same place. When Martha was talking to Jesus about the death of her brother Lazarus in John one thousand nine hundred and thirty john said unto, uh, i mean Jesus said, said to her. is finished. I'm sorry. He will rise again. Even if he's dead, he'll come back again. Every religious system teaches you that you have to do something to attain salvation. And Jesus said in John 19:30, he said, "The work is done, it's finished." There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing left for you to do. And you don't have to wait until you die to find out where you're going to spend eternity. That is for those who believe. First John 5 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That phrase is repeated twice on that verse. I want to talk tonight for a few minutes about life after death. You know this question lingers in the minds of a lot of people, but only true born-again Christians know and understand that this life is not all there is. And we make these claims because our Savior is not dead in a grave somewhere. Different people have different Ideas about whether or not there is life after death, but one thing is for sure, from the moment sin was introduced into the world, the rate of physical death has not changed. Every person that is born eventually will die. That's a reality. That's a reality. And there is no medical doctor in the world that has been able to find a cure or will ever find a cure for death. They have medicine that can extend your days for I mean your life for a few days, but eventually we are all going to die. Psalm 90, in verse 10 says. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they, they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. You can ask that question to many different people, and you will get many different answers. For some people think that death is the end of everything, and when you die, you die like an animal, and that's, that's it. But when Martha was talking to Jesus about the death of her brother, this is where I left off a little while ago, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In Job 19, verse 25, 26, and 27, we have this. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I, shall I see God. Whom shall I see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. That's what everybody Christian is, every, every Christian is waiting for, to go to heaven and get out of this mess. Because whatever this life has to offer, even if you have it really good, if you miss heaven, you really didn't gain anything. So we begin in Job, uh, Job 14, verse 1. It says that man that is born of a woman is full of trouble in a few days. In the short time that I've been alive, I, I have learned that this is true. You know, everywhere you go, you find blood, sweat, sweat and tears. And that's the story of every person on the planet the happy moments that we enjoy, are way too few and way too short. From the moment you learn how to walk, all you get is cuts and bruises, headaches and disappointments. If your children don't break your heart, someone you love and care about will do it. And even though Christians have trouble on every side, we don't look at life in a pessimistic way because serving the Lord for those who love the Lord will always put a smile on your face if you really love Him. Paul expressed that, ex- uh, that, that way of thinking in First Corinthians 15:19 when he said, "If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable." You know, there are millions of lost people in the world without hope without a vision without God they don't know where they're going no wonder they're miserable in Job 14 and verse 2 the image we have here is that of a tender flower in an open field that is exposed to all the elements of nature and anything can wipe it out at any time that's your life and mine Psalm 103 and verse 15 says as for man his days are as grass as a flower of the field so he flourishes another image we have here in this verse is that of a shadow you see a shadow roll over a valley and in a very short time it just disappears without a trace and is gone that's your life and mine you know one of these days we're going to take our last breath and when we do that a hundred years from that day It's hard to say if there will be anyone who remembers that you existed. I was talking to Tom last Sunday evening about this. and said that life is so short that you come into the world, you play for a little while, then you go to school for a little while, then you get a job, hopefully, get a wife or a husband, have kids, and before you know what's going on, it's over. And to the grave you go. Verse 3 is a question. It says, Why would God invest so much time on a creature that is so feeble, so frail, and yeah, so vile? And after man has accomplished his days under the constant watchful eye of the Almighty, he is called to appear in court to give an account to the one who knows everything, why would he ask him anything when he already knows everything? From the moment we are conceived in the womb until we take our last breath, he knows everything. Is that fair? Can a sinful creature stand in the presence of God and defend himself? We're looking at this from from God's point of view. It's important to understand a few things in here. God has invested a great deal on man. Of all the things that God has created, only man was created in the image of God. In that, We need to take our place then and understand that we were taken out of the dirt. And God has decided to put an eternal soul in, on every person that walks on this earth. And the only purpose on this life is to enjoy our Creator and give Him glory in the process. But only man refuses to do that. The entire creation is under a curse because the only creature that that God created in His image decided to disobey. And of all the creatures that God made, only man blasphemes the name of God. And only man refuses to give Him glory. Job follows up with another question here in verse 4 and it says, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean one? And this one's easy to get. He says, no one, not one. Sinners can only produce sinners. That's the reality. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In the original text, all means all there, all sinners without exception. Everybody, your social study, status—I'm sorry, your education, the color of your skin, how smart or not so smart, how beautiful or not so beautiful you are, how tall or not so tall—makes no difference. All have sin. Whoever you are, you have sin and come short of the glory of God. Just like an apple tree will always produce apples, you know. You see a lion will always produce another lion sinners will always produce sinners and this one is very easy and simple to understand just get a group of kids five four-year-old boys and girls put them in a room and give them only one toy close the door and watch from the window on the outside and see what happens within a few minutes if you don't step in and do something they will kill each other and these are precious little children you know beautiful children but yeah, they're wicked. They're, from the moment they are born, they're wicked. Look at verses 5 and 6. Since the number of our days is already determined, why would God not just look away for a little while and let us accomplish our days? Just like when you hire a guy, just let him do his job. When he's done, pay him off and off he goes. Why is it that we don't get a break from suffering? For that we go back to the beginning, like Genesis nineteen, uh, Genesis three nineteen, when it says, "In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou, thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken; for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return." This is really a sad statement that we find in the Bible. Because of disobedience, we are not going to get a break until we go to heaven. That's for those who have trusted in Christ, but for for those who disobey and decide to do it their way, death really is only the gateway to the fires of hell. Verses 7, 8, and 9 tells us that there is more hope for a tree when it's cut down than for a man who dies without Christ. When a tree is cut down, there's always the possibility that the stump or whatever is left in the ground will come back to life. You know, enough water, good soil, good sunlight. It may take a while, may take a a long time, but eventually that tree may come back. But not so with man. For man death is permanent. At the time of death, your destination is fixed, and there's nothing that can be done to change that. Job seven nine says as the cloud is consumed and vanishes away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. You'll never see someone coming out of a grave. But in America, we have found a way to create an industry out of dead people. I don't know if you've ever been to a cemetery and, and asked how much is the price for a little plot they're going to put you after you're dead. I never bother going to spend money on that one When I die, I just throw me in a dish and I'll be done. You know, know, it's crazy. But anyhow, they have found a way to make money out of dead people. You know, cemeteries now, we call them memorial gardens. You know, to me, a garden is a place where you go and buy, I mean, get fruits, good fruit, flowers, that kind of thing. Not dead people. The places where we keep the dead bodies, we call them memorial homes. Funeral homes. To me, a home is a place where a husband and his wife and a bunch of children laugh and play together, have a good time. That's a home, not a place where you keep a bunch of dead bodies. But these people in this industry do a great job trying to cover up the reality and the devastation of Death. They disguise it with elegant cars. You see the cars where they transport the bodies? Beautiful cars. I don't want to be in it because everybody, you know, but it's a nice-looking car. They make these elegant caskets where they put the body in. Expensive flower arrangements decorates the average funeral service in America. But you can spend all the money in the world in the funeral service of a loved one if your family member dies without Christ, he or she is lost forever. Money doesn't change anything. You can now go to college and become a professional mortician, believe it or not. You can learn the art of how to prepare a dead body for family members to to view it for a few hours before the gravedigger puts it in the ground. Job 24.20 says, The womb shall forget him, the worm shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered, and wickedness shall be be broken as a tree. The reality of death is painful because death is the enemy that everybody fears. And not knowing what is waiting on the other side of that veil should be terrifying for people who don't know the Lord. But for people who, who know Christ, for those of us who are saved, The separation that will take place after we die is only for a little while. It's only temporary. Then we come to verse 10. It says, But man dieth and wasteth away, yet man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? This question indicates that even though the physical body dies, the real person has gone somewhere. But where does the non-physical part of a person goes at the moment of death. In Luke 16, we read about the rich man and Lazarus. So I'll ask you to take your Bibles to Luke 16, if you would. And we'll pick it up at verse 22. I'm sure many people are familiar with this. And we read there, it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died Let's look at this for a second. In verse 23, it says that, he, that in hell he, the rich man lift up his eyes, being in torment. But how could that be? He is in the grave, he's dead. His physical eyes are in the grave. In verse 24, he's asking for a drop of water to cool his tongue. But his physical tongue is in the grave. And yet he's very much aware of what is going on around him. And even though his physical body is dead in the grave and wasting away, he's aware of what is going on. That means that death is not the final episode of life. In this story, nothing is said about a waiting period before you go to heaven or hell, like purgatory, you know. By looking into this, we learn that The distance between heaven and hell is really one breath away. You skip that breath and you're there. If you are saved, you are one breath away from heaven. And if you're not, you are one breath away from hell. In our preaching presentations, we tell people that their souls are priceless. And that's true. And we try to tell them about the reality of heaven and hell. And sometimes I wonder if we make ourselves clear what it is that we're trying to explain when we tell people about heaven and hell the soul the body and all that. What is the soul really? What makes the soul so valuable? In Mark 8:36 and 37 says For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the thing that is priceless is the soul. And these are good questions. How much is your soul worth? How much do you value your soul? How much do you value the soul of your loved ones? Your brothers, your sisters, your father, your mother, your neighbors the people you work with every day. Everyone has a soul. Even the homeless guy that is sleeping under a bridge, he has a soul. How much do we care about these people? After all, preaching, sharing the gospel, sending missionaries around the world, it's all about rescuing souls. So the thing that is valuable is really not the physical, but the soul. The body, really, I know it sounds grotesque, but it's nothing more than a small pile of warm food that one of these days is going to be in the grave. That's, That's all. It's true that the physical body will eventually go to heaven, but before that happens, it has to go through a major transformation. It has to be glorified in order to stand before God. And many people try to explain these things. I don't know if you've seen movies. You know, the Hollywood people always try to come up with things. They can't get away from the Bible. It's impossible to produce anything without the Bible. But you see in their movies that they try to explain how this works. In some of their movies, you see when someone dies, a ghost in the shape of the person that had just passed away comes out of the body. You seen that? It floats around sometimes and it lingers around the body for a little while. Well, they try, but in Revelation uh, 6, verses 9, 10, and 11, we have this, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they shall rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that shall be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Here we have the souls of those who die for their testimony. These souls are crying for vengeance. They remember what happened to them on the earth. But that's not all. They are given white robes and are told to wait for a little while. The question is, how do you wear a robe if you don't have a body? You've got to have a body to wear a robe, right? If you really start to dig into this, it can get spooky. Your soul cannot be touched no matter what you do to the body. You can destroy the body in whichever way you can think of, but you cannot touch the soul. But on the other hand, God said that he can destroy both, the body and the soul, in heaven. You read about that in Matthew ten twenty-eight, which says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Many years ago, I had a friend who was involved in a, in a construction accident and they had to amputate his right arm right above the, the elbow. And many months after the, the injury healed, he called me one day, and he wanted me to take him to the doctor because he was having pain on the back of the hand, the right hand. I thought he was going crazy because he didn't have that hand. But when we got to the hospital, the doctor said, to my surprise, the doctor said that this is called the syndrome. The phantom syndrome. we got nurses in here. They can probably tell us more about this. Or the nerve ending. They also call it the sensation of a body part that has been amputated and is no longer attached to the body. I believe the medical doctors, every now and then, they make up big and fancy words to describe things that cannot be explained. And they make it too complicated. The nerve ending is at the point where the arm was cut off. But my friend not only could feel his entire arm, he said that he could feel his fingers, every one of them. And he was having pain on the back of a hand that he didn't have anymore. It's it's kind of spooky. And he tried to grab and touch things with a hand that wasn't there. By the way, you can confirm this if you know anyone who has uh, an arm or a leg missing as a result of an injury. You can ask them if, and ask them if they feel that missing that, that part that is not no longer there, and they'll tell you that they they can feel it, even though it's not there. I was thinking about this a while ago. Is it possible that my friend's hand was there but we just couldn't see it? I think it is. The soul cannot be destroyed, remember? So part of him was still there, I think. That is is my personal opinion, by the way. But I think that if you could see your soul, your soul will, will look just like you. It's a bodyless shape inside of you that looks just like you. You can call that Casper, your friendly ghost. But remember the rich man? He could feel pain. He could see the flames around him. He had the ability to speak. He remembered things. He remembered his brothers. But his body was in the grave. I wish I knew how to explain this. I just don't know how to explain this, but I know the only thing that I can explain that if you end up in hell, Even without a physical body, you will burn, and you will burn really, really good. That much I know. So in reality, your soul is the real you. That is the real thing. That's the only thing that counts. Your physical body is nothing more than the package where the soul is. And looking around, you know, some of us have bigger packages, some of us have small packages, but nonetheless, it's just a package. But that package eventually is going to get old, it's going to collapse, and it's going to dissolve. You try to explain this to people, you know, and you look around our technology, you know, smart people, very smart people. They come up with different ideas in trying to escape the reality of what is waiting. Some try to explain it with science, looking for life, Intelligent life outside our planet. We don't even have intelligent life here on Earth. I don't know what makes them think that there's intelligent life outside out there. You know. But again, sinful man is very smart. You know, just think of your cell phone. Think of all the emails, text messages, Facebook, Snapchats, Instagrams that are traveling through the air 24 hours a day, every day. Most of it is filthy stuff that is just floating around. It's it's traveling through the air. Imagine if we could see that. Videos, all that kind of thing. I don't know if you ever thought about and wonder what is up in the air. When I was growing up, I spent many nights sleeping in the woods. Not by choice, by the way. But it's fascinating to look up into a clear night, a clear, hot summer night, to look up in the sky. It looks like the whole thing is decorated with diamonds. It's just beautiful. But somewhere up in space, is a red fire-breathing dragon waiting for you. The air, the open space, is the domain of Satan. The Bible tells us that. And you're not going to escape that dragon unless you repent and trust in Christ. He'll get you. Ephesians 2 and verse 2 says, "Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's a lot going on in the air that we can't see, we don't understand. We are distracted with worldly things, and in the process we neglect our spiritual growth and waste precious hours, precious days. We waste our life, wasting our lives, chasing things that have absolutely no value. You know, I, l- I learned a few days ago that the entire airspace is divided and is mapped out. That's how you can get on an airplane at any international airport and within hours, you and in another, in, in, in on, on the other side of the world. They have now a digital highways at different altitudes for different types of airplanes with signs posted on every highway in the air. When you travel on an airplane, you don't know what's going on, but the guys inside the the cabin, whoever's flying that thing, they're following a highway, and they know where they're going. You may not know where they're going, but they do. If sinful men can do all these things, can you imagine what God can do? A day is coming when God is going to bring back from the dead every person that has died throughout the centuries. Those of us who repented of their sins will go to everlasting life, and those who didn't will go to everlasting damnation. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, after this, the judgment. I know that that's a general statement, because if you read the Bible, you'll find that there are a few people in the Bible that didn't die. But in general, everybody dies. So death is not the end of all things. It is only the beginning, really. You know, there are many people who take their lives because of shame or guilty or whatever. There is no relief in death if you go out that way. If there is anyone here who doesn't know the Lord, we will be happy to tell them how they become children of God. That's all I got. Thank you for listening to this presentation